Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Health Policy Checkup. Our guest today is M.K. Fletcher of the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations, otherwise known as AFL-CIO. Ms. Fletcher has a Master of Science in Public Health from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill Gillings School of Global Public Health. In her role at the AFL-CIO, she advocates for stronger health and safety protections on the job and is the lead author of the annual report, Death on the Job, The Toll of Neglect, a National and State-by-State Profile of Workers' Health and Safety in the United States. MK, thank you so much for being here today. Could you provide us with a little background on AFL-CIO and specifically the work that you do with the organization? Yeah, I'm happy to. So the AFL-CIO is a federation of 60 international and national unions representing more than 12 and a half million working people. And we represent people from all over, basically any different industry or occupation you could think of. We represent at least a small handful of them. Some are kind of obvious that you would think of, like manufacturing, construction, teachers, healthcare workers, others, though, like bus drivers and flight attendants, those who work in retail and service sectors, those who work in food processing and meat processing plants, um, mechanics. We also represent actors and the people behind the scenes, um, the stagehands and film crew, musicians, professional sports players, uh, you name it, we represent their issues. And we really work to try to improve the lives and working conditions of all working people, um, union members and non-union members, because our members work side by side alongside non-union members. And our goal is really to make sure that all workers are treated fairly so that they get decent paychecks and benefits, you know, have dignity in the job and have the equal opportunities that everyone deserves. But specifically, I work in safety and health. I'm the safety and health specialist at the AFL-CIO. And so we really focus on ensuring people have safe jobs. Um, We want them to be able to come home at the end of the shift the exact same way that they walked in the doors. So we want their jobs to not lead to injuries, but also not lead to chronic health conditions um, from different chemical and toxic exposures as well. People to live long, healthy lives and not be impacted um, because of their workplace and the work that they have to do just to bring home a paycheck. That is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you for the work that you do. That is so important. Can you tell us a little bit about what led to your interest in this policy sphere of health and safety of workers? Yeah, of course. And thank you, because I feel like each of us have such a unique pathway to our <laughs> how we ended up where we are. So when I was an undergraduate, I was a biochemistry major and, you know, I was really trying to find my path in the world. The majority of the students that I was in classes with, they all wanted to, you know, go into medicine or pharmacy or something like that. And I was really more intrigued by that idea of preventing health outcomes versus treating health outcomes. So that led me to looking into public health and exploring public health. And that led to an internship called the Occupational Health Internship Program. Um, And this program places students with a local union or a worker center. And a worker center is an organization that helps unorganized workers and also largely on safety and health issues, but all all issues as well. The program really places them with this organization to learn from workers themselves about their working conditions and investigate safety and health hazards in their workplace. 
And during my internship, I learned how work impacted individual health outcomes Mm -hmm. and how if you control the workplace, you can make an impact not only on an individual worker's life, but the entire community. Through workplace regulations, you can have an impact on what is released into the air, what is released into the water and the soil, and also protect people and control what they are exposed to for eight to 12 hours a day when they're on the job, and also prevent them from taking home toxic dusts and things on their skin and their clothes that will impact their families. So you can really just have such a larger impact and kind of address toxic exposures in a more holistic way. And then I also really learned through that internship how unique work is as a health determinant because there's an inherent power dynamic in the workplace between the employer and the workers. And one way I really like to think about the power dynamic is trying to apply it to a specific hazard. So thinking about heat, right? What's the difference between someone visiting a public pool and the lifeguard at that pool, right? They're both exposed to the sun, but as a visitor to the pool, you can leave whenever you want to. You can go take a break inside. You can jump into the water, um, all of these things to cool off. But the lifeguards breaks are determined by their employer. And then also through this internship, I learned that unions are one way where people can come together in an organized way to really affect change within that power dynamic and advocate for changes both in the workplace and their individual workplace, but also at the federal, state and even international policy level. That's great. Thank you so much. So you mentioned that you represent a very wide range of workers from different industries and sectors. Can you talk a little bit about some of the main issues that are currently impacting some of the workers you represent today? Absolutely. There are so many health and safety issues that workers face every single day. You know, I think a lot of times we think about, especially as kind of more office and academic type workers, we get to work a from home a lot more. The pandemic really shifted a lot of things about the workplace, but so many workers still have to go into the work every single day. And each year, the labor movement and our allies honor a day called Workers Memorial Day. And it's a time to remember workers who have died or been injured on the job, and also a time to fight for stronger health and safety protections. Um, Workers Memorial Day is honored globally every single year on April 28th. Um, And it's so important to take this time because in the U.S., more than 125,000 people die every year due to preventable causes at work. Um, The most recent numbers are from 2021 from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they have published that there are There were 5,190 people who died at work from a traumatic injury. So that's a fall, being crushed in machinery, being crushed in a trench, being electrocuted, um, being killed from violence on the job. Um, Just more of those traumatic safety issues, but also an estimated 120,000 workers die every year in the U.S. from chronic health conditions that can be attributed to workplace exposures. 
And that's just an estimated number. And we have to rely on estimates for these numbers because we don't have a dedicated national surveillance system for occupational illnesses in this country. Also, those are only the people who have died. Million more are injured on the job. And the numbers tell us that more than 3 million injuries are reported every year. But we know that that number is a significant underestimate. Mm -hmm. And the true toll is probably between 3 and 9 million injuries that happen on the job every single year. And we know also it's an underestimate because the system that reports and collects this information relies on employers to volunteer their injury information. And then also many employers have work practices that discourage workers from reporting injuries to them. Around Workers Memorial Day, the AFL-CIO issues a report called the Death on the Job Report, The Toll of Neglect. And it's a national and state-by-state profile of worker fatalities, injuries, and illnesses. And it has detailed statistics and trends over time for some of these numbers and gets into more granularity with them. And then it also has a component talking about the state of just safety and health in this nation, including the policies and resources that our country does and doesn't have to ensure those protections. Another huge issue that we're seeing grow as we track you know, the fatality and injury statistics every year is that Black, Latino, and immigrant workers are disproportionately injured and killed on the job. Before the pandemic, the Obama administration had used some strategic enforcement initiatives in industries that largely employ these communities and also did different educational campaigns. And that helped really bring down the fatality rates among these populations. But now we are seeing them rise again. And the number and rate of Black and Latino workers who are dying on the job are the highest that they've been in 15 years. Um, One contributing factor to this is workers feeling that they have the ability to speak out about unsafe working conditions without the fear of retaliation by the employer. We have a really long way to go before every employer stops practicing practices that really discourage workers from speaking out and for agencies to really hold employers accountable when they do retaliate against workers for acting on their right. But, you know, some progress has been made as well. Um, last year, OSHA created a card that can be handed out to workers to let them know that they have the right to speak out about safety and what to do when that right is violated. Um, So that's a great step. But also, you know, having a union there to where you can go to your union representative and voice your safety concerns collectively um, is also a way to address that power dynamic and prevent retaliation. You know, another issue for workers is that too few workers see OSHA. Um, OSHA is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, um, Mm -hmm. who is responsible for overseeing workplace safety in the majority of workplaces in the U.S. Too few workers see OSHA in their workplaces. And in the last fiscal year, federal OSHA only had 900 inspectors to cover more than 6 million workplaces. Um, And their budget is equal to approximately $4 per worker. So the agency just doesn't have enough resources to really do their role effectively. They have a very large role that Congress has mandated them with. 
And so they have to strategically use their resources to make the most difference. Yeah. Um, also, you know, penalties when employers break the law are really too low to change employer practices. So for example, the average penalty when an employer seriously violates the law is approximately $5,000. And then when a worker dies on the job, the penalties are around $10,000. So it's really, you know, not even a strong slap on the wrist when these issues are preventable um, and the employer is breaking the laws that are there. So one thing I, I really try to do is fight to improve OSHA standards and to help the agency issue new comprehensive standards that really will make a difference in workers' lives. And unfortunately, many OSHA standards are outdated, particularly ones on chemical hazards. A lot of chemical standards have not been updated since the agency was created. The agency was created in 1970, and it takes a really long time for the agency to issue a, a comprehensive standard. And this is because over the years, various court cases and executive orders have increased the steps and therefore the time that it takes for the agency to issue a new worker protection standard. So for OSHA, this means it takes on average four years to issue a safety standard and nine years to issue a health standard. So nine years is more than one two-term administration. Yeah, so, so even with political will, it can take a long time to impact change, but those standards do make a huge difference. They really do save lives and completely change employer practices. And I just wanted to share some of the, the standards that we're currently advocating for. Um, and OSHA is currently working on um, at least some initial steps um, to address some really big hazards. One is workplace violence, specifically okay. in the healthcare and social assistance industry. Um, these workers face extraordinarily high rates of injuries due to violence from patients and other visitors. Um, another hazard that OSHA has taken some initial steps to issue a standard on is heat illness prevention. Okay. Um, and this impacts workers who work both outside and inside, and just too many workers are getting heat illness and even dying um, from not being provided enough breaks when required to work in really hot conditions. Okay. Um, another thing, and this is not with OSHA, but it is in mining. Um, so miners are covered by the Mine Safety and Health Administration. But in mining, we're seeing younger miners having lung issues due to silica exposures. Mm. Um, and this is because industry now has really high power technology that is creating more dust than before. Okay. And right now the Mining Safety Agency has a proposed rule that would reduce silica exposures in mining for review at the White House. And we hope that we're able to comment on that issue really soon and help the Biden administration issue that rule and make it really strong to help prevent these minors from having debilitating lung issues at a young age. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of very complex issues. It sounds like you kind of wear a lot of different hats across these different sectors as well. 
Yes, we do wear a lot of different hats, but there's also so many different opportunities to advocate Mm -hmm. because of that through OSHA, through MSHA, through the EPA has authority to um, regulate chemicals in workplaces as well. There's just a lot of different avenues as well as Congress can legislate. (laughs) Um, And uh, so it it leads for a lot of opportunities to make a difference. That's awesome. And you mentioned this, I think, quite a bit with your initial internship that you took, that was kind of your introduction into this work. And so maybe you have some experience from, you know, drawing from those days. And I'm assuming that's probably evolved. But how would you say you try to facilitate communication between all levels of stakeholders in the process of the work that you do to make sure like everyone's voice is being heard? Yeah, it is definitely such a great, powerful thing to be able to collectively represent so many diverse unions and workers. And, you know, when we really come together in that united voice, that's when we have a louder voice at the table to influence policies. Yeah. But yeah, there is so many different levels um, to the individual workplace, right, Um, to the federal policy level. Um, and also each union has their own priorities because they represent different groups of workers who do different types of jobs and have different types of issues. And one thing we do to help ensure the Federation is working most effectively to advocate for workers' protections is that we operate within committees who come together. They're made up of all of the unions who we represent. And we regularly discuss with them and help identify the issues that are priorities for us all. um, And also the issues that have some momentum where we can make some policy changes. But also our union safety and health staff are on the ground every single day dealing with their members who have been injured, dealing with, unfortunately, fatalities that are occurring, helping with OSHA investigations, being at the table, doing collective bargaining over safety and health issues. And our federation provides the space for them to also just come together and discuss what's going on in their workplaces on the ground floor and discuss different solutions and ways to address what each other are facing to really change things on the workplace floor, as well as those government policy spaces. That's great. Okay, this might be hard to pick one, but if you had to pick one aspect of your work, is there an area that you feel like you're the most proud of that you've accomplished so far? Yeah, I I am really honored to be able to speak for so many amazing people every single day. It's it's really amazing to see workers' voices being spoken in the halls of Congress, at agency meetings, in meetings with the White House, like being able to provide our elected officials with context and information of really what is happening in people's everyday lives when they go to work and helping that inform policy decisions to change how work is done and improve people's lives. um, That is what I am most proud of to see happen and to just be a very small part of that in the Federation. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So 
I had mentioned a little bit to you prior to our interview today, but the city of Ann Arbor, we are home to the University of Michigan. And currently our graduate student employees organization, otherwise known as GEO, um, they've been going through months of union bargaining. And just this week, they decided to go on strike. I was wondering if you have any advice to give labor organizers who are, you know, really deep in the fight to get their needs met. Absolutely. I would tell the students who have gone on strike to not underestimate their own power and the power of collective. Mm -hmm. When they stand together, it's the most powerful way to demand dignity at work. And I would also encourage them to talk to everyone that they know about it. Talk about it at the coffee shop. Talk about it to your family, because you will never realize the support that you have from the community when you truly explain why you're taking action, why you're fighting for dignity, why you're standing together, because it, it, is, it is hard to stand up against powerful institutions, but you have support and don't underestimate the, the power of, of sticking together and fighting together. Yeah, absolutely. I think people just generally too, we kind of underestimate how much power we have even on a personal level. So I love that answer. Thank you so much. And we're going to round it out here with a personal question for you. Not that this all hasn't been personal, <laughs> but um, so I will admit, I kind of stole this question from a favorite podcast of mine. It's called Vibe Check. Um, they always end their show trying to kind of uplift on a high note. Clearly the work that you do, there's a lot happening. There's fatalities. People are struggling and you're advocating and you're up against, I'm guessing, some some tough forces at times. MK, what would you say you've been doing lately that kind of helps you protect your joy and uplifts you at times when you need something to kind of bring your spirits up? Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of barriers and it is not always easy um, talking about fatalities, dealing with the realities of, you know, whether it's the, you know, recent train derailment and the exposures that are happening there to also, you know, the catastrophe in Pennsylvania that um, several workers died after an explosion um, in a candy factory. There is a lot that can be heavy and weigh on you, um, but I am so fortunate to have some really strong friendships in my life to lean upon um, and to lift me up and just having a network of people to remind you of what is important in the face of challenges, to offer different ideas um, or just to sit around and talk about, you know, some silly TV show or, you know, listen to some music together, <laughs> you know, talk about the transition from skinny jeans <laughs> is, uh, is, is really important. It's <laughs> having that network and not doing everything by yourself, <laughs> personal, organized, collective. <laughs> yes, that's truly really what gets me through. Right. Okay. Again, thank you so much. Um, you have been such a wonderful guest and we really appreciate your time today. No, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so happy to share a little bit about workplace health and safety.